0: Technology begins to control us. People are starting to worry about artificial intelligence now. And will we have a day when our machines revolt? They don't have to revolt. They already control us.
1: Technology is a mixed bag, like a lot of things.
2: The the worst people with technology aren't young children, it's adults. And adults have to set a kind of icon or a model uh, of what's moving forward.
3: This is Made for Love, a Catholic podcast about real people living out the call to love. I'm your host, Sarah Perla. Today's episode is on technology and the family. Or really, it's about digital technology and its effects on our relationships. We, human beings, have never had such connectivity before. And yet, in many cases, we've also never felt so disconnected. What can we do? That is today's Made for Love.
0: Hello everyone, I'm Bishop David Condorla from the Diocese of Tulsa, Oklahoma.
3: Bishop Condorla is a rural bishop. He grew up surrounded by farmland in Bryan, Texas, and now his diocese is that of Tulsa in eastern Oklahoma.
0: I think it's important for people, particularly people who live in cities, to get out to the country whether that's in the parks in the city or along a river that runs through the city or by driving out into the countryside because life in cities surrounded by concrete and all the rest of what goes in uh heavy cities is not natural to us it's it's uh in some ways not healthy i think and so it needs to be balanced by getting back into nature, close to those things that sustain us as a race.
3: Stereotypically, it's the city slickers who are addicted to their phones, not the people in the country who are baling hay and catching pigs. Okay, I said that last part just in order to find some way to sneak in this little piece of audio that I think is delightful. It's about pigs having babies.
0: They come squirting out. She can have a dozen at a time. And she just lays on her side and pants. (laughs) And then every now and then she goes, and there's another one. (laughs) And there's another one. And they just keep coming until they're all out. (laughs) And they immediately are up, running around. Right, 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 right. It's hilarious.
3: But really, that's not totally unrelated because if you had the chance to see a piglet being born, hopefully you wouldn't see it as just an Instagram opportunity. Getting outside can be one of the antidotes to what we're talking about today.
0: To get out where you can see some stars, uh, it's hard to see stars in the city, but it's, it's a, a beautiful way to pray, is to go somewhere where you can see a really beautiful starry sky, and to think about the vastness of this universe, uh, the gift of it, that we can look up and see uh, not just billions of stars but billions of galaxies even, uh, is an amazing thing to think about.
3: I wanted to get Bishop Konderlau's thoughts about technology and unplugging. He pointed out the irony of digital devices.
0: Well, of course the great promise of the technology was that it would do that for us, that it would allow us to do things more efficiently and quickly and thus we would have more leisure. But ladies and gentlemen, let's be honest with ourselves. Do we have more leisure or has the increase in efficiency in technology caused us simply to try to do more and more and more until our machines run us instead of the other way around, us running our machines?
3: It's so true. Instead of giving us more time to do nothing, our devices pressure us to always be doing something.
0: We have more technology in the palm of our hand in these phones than the entire NASA organization had for the early moon missions, and yet it has taken control of us.
3: Bishop Kondula questions the wisdom of screen time.
0: Is it actually healthy for us as human beings? to have our whole life virtually, to, to be plugged into screens so much that we no longer use these screens as tools, even tools for recreation, but rather these screens are what our mind naturally thinks of when it's ever vacant, when it ever has a vacant moment. Instead of just turning inward and being able to... Uh, explore our own thoughts and our own silences. Instead of having that ability, which is a really important human ability to have, instead of that, our mind immediately says, oh, my goodness, there's a spare moment. We must distract ourselves with some screen.
3: He points out that the clergy are prone to these temptations as well.
0: I think it's incumbent on all of us. And certainly, uh, priests and bishops are uh, t- as tempted by all of this as anyone else, but it's incumbent on all of us to uh, develop this, this uh, contemplative part of our nature, you could say, as human persons. Uh, certainly going out into nature gives a person a way to unplug and also a reason to unplug.
3: Bishop Kondula has an interesting hobby, woodworking.
0: I have a whole garage full of tools I have a whole set of different kinds of hammers but I've never once caught myself going out into my shop and picking up a hammer and walking around looking for something to hit with it. The only time I ever go to pick up a hammer is when I already have in my mind some task that I need the hammer to do. Once I've done the task that I need the hammer for, I put the hammer down and I go about other tasks. I I live the rest of my life. But I may not do that with my phone. If I pick up my phone and answer an email, then I'm likely to answer another email. Then I'm likely to be reminded that I need to know the weather tomorrow. Then I'm likely to want to look at snow videos on Facebook. And the next thing you know, I look up, and three hours have gone by. And what have I accomplished? Nothing.
3: Okay, y'all, I love that. It's so true, right? Our phones are a serious time suck.
0: And if I've done this in the midst of my family, what's my family doing? Where are they? They're all sitting around looking on their devices too. Is that really the way we want to raise our families? Or do we want to have more uh, interaction with one another? Well, these days, because of these devices, We have to make that happen. It won't happen accidentally. It won't happen naturally.
3: Intentionality. That is a word we're going to keep coming back to on today's episode. Now, I've got to own my freakish position here as a millennial who still has a flip phone. That's right, y'all. Flip. Phone. It's awesome. Is it hard sometimes? Yes. Sometimes I would love to be able to find a coffee shop on my phone when I've arrived early in another city, but then I remember that I have feet and I'm not afraid of talking to strangers.
0: People have to develop this sort of human trait of desiring interaction with someone else who I don't know.
3: Bishop Condrela noticed decreasing personal interaction on campus at Texas A&M while he was a chaplain.
0: Uh, at the bus stops that you have groups of students waiting for the buses to, all around campus. And in the years gone by, here's, here's an old man talking like an old man, back in my day, blah, blah, blah. But in years gone by, and not that many years gone by, the, that group of students would be standing there and they would be chatting, this one to that one and these three over here and those two. Now that group of students is standing there and they're all on their individual devices and no one's saying boo to each other. So, they're having a relationship with some virtual person somewhere else, but they're not able to interact with a real person in front of them.
3: Let me ask you something, Church. How are we going to be missionary disciples if we can't talk to people?
0: Uh, if they can't do that with friends, they're certainly not likely to do it with strangers, and then our communities break down.
3: This conversation with Bishop Kondula reminded me of something that Tommy Tai said in our interview. Tommy is big on Twitter and podcasts, but in real life,
4: We do go to Mass every week and we see families every single week, right? And, and I'm always like, you know what? They look like such a nice family. They have, you know, three daughters. We have three sons. Like, we we would probably be good friends and i never say anything. Uh, one time, my wife forced me to go up to this couple who, you know, we'd been like seeing at Mass for a year and this woman was pregnant and finally had their baby and she's like you need to go up and say congratulations to them and it was like terrifying to me because i don't want to do that like i just want to get in my van and drive home but we did i did because you know when you have to do what your wife tells you to do so i did it and uh we became really really close amazing friends um, they ended up moving, like, to a different state because God has a great sense of humor. Like, hey, you got you got up the nerve to finally do that, and now these people are going to move across the country. Congratulations. But um, it really paid off, like, just just simply, like, forcing myself to do it, even though it was uncomfortable. We had a great relationship with this family and still do, and so uh, we should do that more often, even though it's terrifying.
3: And Bishop Kondrylaw points out that when our social skills deteriorate, the joy and life we get from being with one another also deteriorates, which means we are even less likely to want to extend the effort to get together.
0: If you see a group of friends who have all gathered together at somebody's house, and then they sit together looking at their individual devices, that's not actual human interaction. If they imagine that that is an actual human interaction, and they don't get anything from it, because why would they? Then they will think that human interaction is not that important. I do it, and I don't get anything from it. I don't miss anything from it. So even there, it requires a certain intentionality and a certain leadership somebody within that group or somebody from outside the group who can influence the group a mentor or a parent or someone to be able to say let's spend this next hour just talking to each other uh, and see what comes out of that.
3: Intentionality and leadership. You can do it y'all. Consider this your pep talk.
1: The first part of my philosophy on technology is that it has been a good thing. I have met people. I've met people on Facebook, you know, a friend of a friend, and then you see them in person, and you're, you're true friends because you have a little bit of a shared experience talking online a bit. Um, I've had businesses start. You know, my own personal business was really launched and launched well because of the internet. It, it it really, it's helped. This is Mary Warren. She was also
3: on the Friendship episode.
1: My name is Mary Sheehan Warren, and I'm actually a Washington, D.C. local. And here I am with my five children and my husband. One of my favorite things to do is to teach fashion marketing, consumer behavior, and marketing management at the Bush School of Business at the Catholic University of America. I asked Mary to speak specifically to the social media
3: aspect of the tech culture. So as you heard, her first instinct was to defend what
1: is good about it. The other side of it, my other half of my philosophy is that it can be a true danger in several ways. One is you make the conversation that really could have been a connecting conversation into something superficial. It could be with a friend you've already had. It could be with someone who should become a true friend, but you've kept it at this level of just communicating online. You get lazy. You don't see each other in person. Um, There's so many different ways that it can trip us up in disconnecting. I think that that's that's one way.
3: Then she had some special words about Twitter.
1: The other thing is what you're seeing right now, there's something about the internet. There's something about a tweet that there's an amount of power that you don't normally experience. A lot of people are reading what you wrote. A lot of people can see the evidence of your opinions right there. It's right there for all to see. And we jump on bandwagons. We get angry. It brings out sometimes the worst in people. And it can ruin pre-existing friendships, prevent new ones from happening. I was complaining about how small my podcast audience is.
3: No offense, y'all. And someone called me on it, saying, how often in the past could one person do something that was heard by 1,000 people?
1: Valid, friend. And what about pictures? Instagram is kind of this ready-made, it really facilitates a fakeness. That this is my life. Here's a shot of something I'm doing right now. I mean, I do it. I'm, I'm not talking about other people. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I find myself, you know, this is particularly beautiful. I take a photo of it. I'm leaving a trail that when you put, when you connect, point A, point B, point C, point C, across all these posts, that that really doesn't add up to the true me. That's That's a good side of me. So if I'm doing that for others, when I'm looking at other people's accounts, I'm seeing what may not necessarily be them.
3: We're going to talk more about that another time because that's pretty big. Mary
1: has one simple rule for tech use at home. And I'm a firm believer in... Not having the phone at the dinner table. I'm a big Sherry Turkle fan, so Sherry Turkle and um, reclaiming conversation. I'm a I'm a firm believer that this is this is something we need to get control of.
3: If you're looking for a good starting place, try that. Be intentional about meal times. Now we're going to hear from Dr. Timothy O'Malley.
2: My name is Tim O'Malley. I am the academic director of the Center for Liturgy at the University of Notre Dame, where I'm also a a professor in the Department of Theology, working in the area of liturgical sacramental theology and catechesis. I am married to Kara. We've been married for 13 years. We have two children, Tommy, who's six, and Maggie, who just turned two, uh, and she's going on 15.
3: Like a true philosopher, Dr. Malley, or I'm going to call him Tim, wants to define our terms.
2: Technology is simply a part of family life. The advent of the plow changes what it means to dwell as a family. Electric lights change what it means to dwell as a family. What we create has an effect upon us. And so for us today, this technology is often marked by digital technology, And this has changed uh, dimensions of what it means to dwell with one another. It changes the process of learning. Schools, uh, whether we want them to or not, are often intruding upon family life with required digital technology, iPads for every student or some sort of uh, laptop device. And so it has an effect upon our families because it's ubiquitous. It it enters in, uh, it changes how we relate to one another, it changes how we're able to dwell together.
3: There seems to be something different about digital technology.
2: My son, for example, relates to screens differently than myself. He presumes that every screen will allow for movement and tangibility in a way that I don't.
3: It's pretty wild seeing children swiping and otherwise controlling these powerful pieces of technology.
2: My son Initially, we let him, as he was getting older and he was doing some educational work, use a, a, an iPad. But it became very obvious that he was deeply addicted to the iPad. And so we made a decision as a family that he would not have an iPad, that it turned him into a relatively miserable person. And so we have very firm boundaries by which he's able to interact with an iPhone or or an iPad or any sort of tablet at all. And functionally, it's only when we're stuck on airplanes or at a dinner where he has to to sort of use it. And so we've made that decision as a family. Well, I, I guess we made that decision for him. But it does allow him to flourish in a particular kind of way.
3: The problem of technology in the home does not come from the kids.
2: The first real problem with digital technology is myself. I think The tendency is to throw this upon our children and say, oh, well, you know, it's our kids who are addicted to technology. Look at these young ones. Uh, I actually think the problem originates with myself. I have a smartphone. It receives perpetual updates via Twitter, via Facebook, emails. And in this sense, it takes away attention from my family, from my children, from what is my fundamental vocation. So often, I think, number one, it's finding a place where we're able in the course of our home to hide away our devices when we arrive home. So put your devices in a drawer, get rid of them so that you can actually attend to your children.
3: I can't tell you how many times I've stopped to grab a bite somewhere and seen tables of parents and children where the parent is on the phone and the kids are trying to get their attention. It breaks my heart, honestly. Spouses can help each other out here.
2: One of the great dangers is that we place our phones by our beds and they become almost part of a married life. The first thing you do when you wake up is look at your phone. And so I think it's essential that my wife and I are as attentive to our uses of technology around one another as our children are. And so concretely, this means I don't look at my iPhone when we go to bed, right? Like I don't spend the first 25 minutes as we're preparing to go to sleep Look at our iPhone, uh, look at a a device. And so this allows us, I believe, to carve out spaces in our lives where technology hasn't infused everything. Tim is
3: not claiming that he and his wife, Kara, are perfect, but they are at least trying to think about
2: these things. Of course, um, we're bad at it, too. Uh, I say this not as someone who has perfected it. I have the same problems with technology as many young people. And so I I do think that intentional fasting and recognition of the need for fasting is key in this. And so uh, uh, to treat it as a kind of occasion of conversion, especially for those who find themselves using these devices a lot.
3: Being on your phone is easy. It's easier to do that sometimes than, for example, to play Hungry Hippo the fifth time with your full attention.
2: You have to be free to interrupt one another. You know, if I'm looking at my phone in front of my kids, my wife says, what are you looking at? That's an invitation for me not to get into a fight, which I think is the temptation, because obviously I know best, uh, and so I should control my individual life. But it actually is an invitation for me to say, you know what, Kara, you're right. Uh, I am looking at my phone. Thank you for the correction. And so I think we have to have a kind of real sense of accountability, uh, a fraternal correction that, that has to be part of, uh, of the work that we do. This
3: also translates to the classroom. Tim sets firm boundaries for digital technology use in his classes. He's also concerned about increasing tech use at earlier ages.
2: When I go into a Catholic school, the first question that I ask them is, "Do you use an iPad or do you have technology?" One of the, I think, the the real dangers is even sort of major Catholic groups at this stage are advocating for the use of technology in every classroom and. You know, I have a niece, and she's found a way to get around every single one of the obstacles that they set up so that the the device couldn't be used improperly because kids are smarter than adults. And so uh, I just think, how much does it influence the educational event?
3: When I was a high school teacher, I had a serious reputation for confiscating phones. I had to carry a basket around with me, and I tried to explain that it was for their own good. Sometimes I'd be walking the hall in my free period and see students blatantly texting in the back of the room with a sweet but oblivious teacher up front. And then the school decided to give them all iPads.
4: Come on.
2: <laughs> the adults want technology. It's, it's, uh, and so they think that that's intrinsically good. So I, if I have to move to a forest somewhere to be apart from it alone from the rest of humanity, I will.
3: I'm with Tim on that, y'all. So I asked him what parents can do if they're a little late to the tech boundary party
2: the first thing to remember is that your adolescent will fight any boundaries you're putting in place but they will be grateful for the boundaries that you're putting in place
3: teenagers need adults to step up and confidently say this is for your own good
2: it is hard but they want boundaries and in fact they want an excuse to give up some of this forms of engagement
3: one simple idea for parents is to store the kid's phone away at the end of the day.
2: As students get older, they're going to need help. There's nothing wrong with saying, you know what, we take your phone away at the end of the day because we don't want you in your room sort of looking up and looking at Instagram uh, for two hours as you experience deep envy about what other human beings are doing with their lives. You don't need it after 10 o'clock. Same thing goes with internet time and sort of screen time as a whole. Set these very firm boundaries,
3: But Tim also points out that you can't only create a void where tech used to be. You have to have some fun that helps kids and adults remember that the real world is cool, too.
2: But of course, these boundaries have to be related to something fun. And so as a family, you have to spend time with one another, which means you need to get off your devices, too. Right. So this is the same thing that we said about young parents, is that if you're going to establish these boundaries, you have to live them out yourself. Go somewhere. Go for a hike. Do something that's material. Spend time with one another one-on-one in in some particular setting, but it's about setting these boundaries. And of course, adolescents fight boundaries. That's the gift of being an adolescent. But they also need these boundaries to survive. And parents uh, allow the flourishing of their adolescent child by setting these boundaries.
3: Tim was on a panel recently at a Focus conference talking about friendship. And one of the young adults shared how badly she felt in a group of people when all of them were on their phones instead of talking together. It will take some courage to change that.
2: She has to be willing to talk to her friends about this and actually call, call them out on it. I think that one of the, the dilemmas is that because we assume that we can't judge other people, that we can't actually say, you know what, when you look at your phone, when we're talking with one another, that actually makes me feel unrecognized and unwelcome as your friend. That's a huge, huge problem. And so you should be able to say that. And I think that is the kind of friendship that allows us to grow in virtue. So how does one person make a difference, not simply, but their practices, but they actually talk about it and testify to it and clarify, you know, what they're doing.
3: We also related this to social skills and dating and lots of other things, but I don't have time to get into that here. Check out his book off the hook for more about that. I'll post it on the show notes. I'm going to end with just a little thought from sister Helena Burns who is the daughter of St. Paul. She's been on a few episodes, so you'll recognize her maybe. My
4: dream is that even though our churches are getting very high tech and they have social media accounts and our dioceses are communicating through videos and YouTubes and whatnot, that's all good, but I believe that when you come to our actual physical locations, we should have tech-free zones, (TFZs), tech-free zones where cell phones are not allowed. You must turn them off. No ringing and pinging and dinging and buzzing you know, in church and and all of that nonsense. And even on other parts of the church campus, we come to be church, we come to be human beings and to look at one another with undivided attention and take time for each other. We need holiness, as J.P. 2 said. We don't need a new program in the church, we need holiness. We need the simple everyday human outreach to each other. Woo, preach it!
3: If you like what you've heard today, please support this project by sharing it with your friends, subscribing to Made for Love on iTunes, writing a review, or commenting on the show notes at marriageuniqueforareason.org. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter and all those things. This is essentially a one-woman production, so yours truly did everything, with the notable exception of the music, which was composed and produced by Michael Taylor.
2: Hello, this is Michael. Thanks for listening.
3: Thanks, everyone.